0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio,
1: this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. It's under the hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJhood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. We've had a fun time looking at the last dance and breaking it down. That was on ESPN. As we turn to senior sports writer for TheUndefeated.com, it's Jerry Bembry. You can go to TheUndefeated.com while we're having our conversation. Jerry joins us here on ESPN 1000. Jerry, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time.
2: Hey, Jonathan. Glad to be with you, man.
0: I, I want to reach out to you because uh, you've been on it uh, over the past few weeks or so leading into this documentary and as we've been watching it. So now that it's over, what resonates with you most after watching The Last Dance?
2: You know, we we, we knew Mike had an edge, but I didn't know the edge was just that, that so deep that, you know, he would manufacture grudges against people. Uh, you know, that whole LeBratford Smith story, I had heard it before. You know, I didn't realize that he had just made that up, uh, that LeBradford said, nice game, Mike, and then he just ate him up the next time. So, so yeah, you know, I, I spoke to Scott Burrell, and he was telling me that he would get on team flights uh, or, you know, on, in, in meetings sometimes, and Mike would have a newspaper and just trying to find some, something in there that somebody said about him so he can take it out on you. And, I, I mean, wow. And he, he just really did it. And uh, it's, it's really, really incredible uh, to the extent he went to to the, the really try to destroy people. So uh, I knew he was intense, but not this intense.
0: Jerry, how well does Michael Jordan's, I'd say, ruthless aggression to win hold up in the eyes of today's players, you think?
2: I think it's different, uh, you know, and, and – uh, Somebody was telling me the other day, and uh, and maybe it was my conversation with Scott Burrell. We were talking, and he said that it wouldn't work today. Uh, these guys, um, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't stand for it. And um, I, I personally, I don't know. I, I think that if you're that type of person and have that kind of drive, and and you're that demanding, and you have a losing team, that's one thing. But if it's proven that you can win doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. The man won six championships and six tries in the, in the 90s, six times to the finals, six championships. I mean, it, it works. And I think the players you saw during the documentary that they may not have liked it at the time, but I think they really appreciate what they got in the end run uh, and, and what Mike drove them to. So, uh, so yeah, it will be a little different today, but under the right circumstances, you have to have the right coach in place, you know, the right player. Um, I mean, I think it can work.
0: Jerry Bembry from the undefeated.com with Jonathan hood on under the hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You mentioned, you spoke to Scott Burrell, you know, <laughs> jerry you know some of that uh that language and and the way that jordan's going after scott does not age well especially if i <laughs> if i'm scott burrell right i mean it's one you know you're gonna keep calling me a whole like one one too many times before something's gonna happen right and, and so but for scott burrell, he had this feeling. I felt like I was watching the movie Get Out again, where he's just looking at the camera, like, "No, everything's fine. No, 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 no. It's okay. Yeah, it's uh, sure. like, like, like Scott's real chill, and that's fine. But after a while, you're not gonna call out my manhood too many times before we're gonna have a conversation or some blows will be thrown." Yeah, and
2: I mean, yeah, you're right. That that could be a problem, and and we've all heard the stories of Mike testing people. You know, there was. There's the Robert Parrish story that, that, that resurfaced recently where he tested Robert Parrish. And, you know, Robert's a martial artist and probably would have destroyed Mike. And, and, and Robert said, come on and step to me. And, and and so I think it was a test for everyone. I, I looked at what was going on with Burrell, and, and I just thought that, you know, he's, he's just a different personality, like you say, Jonathan. I mean, he just kind of took it. But there are certain guys, and I don't know if I could take it like that. Yeah, I, I probably would have gone after Mike too. So um, I think the DNA of, uh, of people probably allows that to happen. I think Scott is just a good guy, and, and 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 Mike just you know leaned on him and leaned on him. But but man, yeah, Robert Parrish would have would have destroyed the guy if he stepped to him like that or, or used that language against him like that. And I think there are a lot of other people in the league who done the same thing.
0: Chief was up in age, and he was toward the the autumn of his career. But he he still fight you though. He would have he would have um, fought him.
2: Oh yeah, I mean Chief. I don't care if he was forty years old. I mean, he still got that black belt. So that's all I'm looking <laughs> at. I'm not looking at a number. I'm looking at the belt you got around your waist. And hey, Chief was a dangerous dude, and uh and guys in the league knew, uh, really not to mess with him. So there are certain guys that you know. I'm I'm sure Jordan, during the course of his career, guys like like Parrish and other guys, he just knew. Not to cross that line. I, I I couldn't see Jordan going after Xavier McDaniel in the same way. I know there were times in games where they got nose to nose, but the X Man probably would have crushed Mike. And um, you know, so yeah, I think you you know we we know growing up we knew we knew who the mess
0: with yeah. the neighborhood growing up. So I knew. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question about that, Jerry. I, uh, I, I want I want to to delve into your story that you wrote on theundefeated.com because uh, about. How someone that Michael didn't think could beat him beat him because it's a whole different stratosphere uh, mentally when Michael loses at something because he wants to get back. But there was a CEO that Michael had a hard time with. Did he not?
2: Yeah, yeah. John Rogers of Ariel uh, uh, Investments in Chicago, and and Rogers' background was he played basketball at Princeton, and you know he was you know a, a kind of a bit player, but he started uh, a few games his senior year um but you know jonathan uh uh, uh, mr rogers john rogers represents that guy and if you play ball you know the guy doesn't look like much but he's got this knack for like throwing up this weird kind of shot that goes in and you know you just wonder as you defend him how he did that and and that's what rogers did against michael jordan the game's to three it's a camp Rodgers is very strategic. I'm away to Mike plays 25 guys in camp today, you know, and and Mike's going on 40 right now. He's 40 right now, so you're going to be a little tired. This ain't 1996, Mike. This is 2003, Mike, and and take him on at that point. And plus, John Rogers has played against Michael Jordan before. He had been part of the run when Michael was thinking about coming back. They came over to uh, Tim Grover's gym and practice with Mike to get him into game shape. So he kind of knew Mike's game a little bit. Uh, that said, the game's three. I don't think Mike wanted to lose that game. And uh, if you look at the last shot on the tape within my story, you know, Mike is screaming, oh, no, as that ball goes in the basket. So, yeah, he, he, he kind of gives everybody a point to score on him to say they did it. Uh, but he doesn't want to lose. And he didn't want to lose that game.
0: it's it's a great story we ask everybody go to undefeated.com and read jerry's story on that (laughs) because the the video is embedded in the story is jerry Bembry from the undefeated joins me jonathan hood on espn 1000 um so jerry there's a, a number of questions after this documentary and i'll start with the chicago bulls and so i've asked every guest uh, this question, so I'll start with with you with this. So after watching the documentary and seeing that Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf clearly want to unplug this thing, all of a sudden Krause and Reinsdorf have they have this foresight, like oh this team's getting old, we got to unplug this now. We have to start this instead of attrition. They unplug the the opportunity for the Bulls to win a seventh championship in 2020. How do you believe the Bulls will be viewed after agents and also young players now are seeing how the bulls are run because ever since that time at the end of that documentary the bulls have had a hard time being able to acquire quality free agents and and actually winning
2: yeah it's a different game now you know management back then clearly had the upper hand the fact that they can hold scotty hostage with his salary and his contract the fact that michael jordan really didn't make a, a lot of money with the bulls until maybe his last season or last two seasons in chicago um, that they you know, they never tore up his contract and said we're gonna give you more Mike, which probably would have been the right thing to do since he was the best player in basketball. Yeah, I, I just I just think it's it's different and um it's hard to build teams now because there's so much movement back and forth. not, not to say that there wasn't movement back then, but um it, it seemed like the, the they lean more towards the super teams right now. You know, the Bulls were built through the draft, Jordan, you know, they got Horace and, and and Scottie Pippen as rookies, and they were able to build and gel that together, and um, mm-hmm. you know that was the nucleus of their squad until you know Horace left, and they got Scottie Pippen later on. But I, I just think it's very difficult to do right now, and um, I, I'm, I'm really shocked. I, I think if, if I if I won six championships with two core players, I think I would have rolled the dice and gone for number seven. So uh, even though the Reimsdorf and uh, and Krause wanted to get ready for the next generation of teams that were, that were that were coming i just think it was a really really bad move.
0: so you believe that the new brain trust for the bulls and mark eversley and our tourist uh will not be harmed uh, or there won't be a bad perception in their new regime of the bulls because of this documentary yeah i don't think so i,
2: I, I okay. you know players don't care i mean you know if if, if they open up their checkbook to the right guy I don't care what happened back in 1999, eight, you know, I'm worried about the here and now. So I don't think, I don't think that really has an impact on guys. Now, if it was the same ownership and the same leadership, then that would be one thing. You know, I think the, I think the New York Knicks, because of James Dolan, I think they're really impacted by who goes there because they, they, people know about the culture of, of that squad. I don't think that's the same case in Chicago. It's a little different out there. And, um, so, yeah, I don't think they'll, they'll be held hostage with, with what happened, uh, you know, over 20 years ago. But you still have to have good management in place
0: to make the proper moves. All right. So what does this documentary do for Charlotte?
2: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I don't think it does much. I mean, you can love Mike and you can respect Mike. That doesn't mean that you want to go and play there. One, it's, uh, it's a mid-market team. And, and two, they they just haven't had a culture of putting all the right pieces together. And, you know, you can be in the mid-market team and build a winner, but I think it's been really difficult there. And I think Mike Mike's play as an owner and team official, you know, in Washington, it didn't work. And and it hasn't been the greatest of moves in Charlotte either. So, uh, you know, I think, um, this you know, time and, and time will know. And you would hope that Mike would bring that same kind of, when it all costs fire to the ownership side that he does to that he did to the playing side, and I don't think we've seen that.
0: You know, that's a column, right? We just talked about. We, you and I, just built a column together. Yeah, just from this, You're right. Be, you know, because it, it's interesting to watch Phil Jackson as someone who is one of the most successful coaches uh, in in my generation watching Phil with the Lakers and with the Bulls and then become a front office person with the Knicks and obviously that didn't work out at all. Uh, even though he was not a fan of Krause, he tried himself and it didn't work out as president of basketball operations. You see Michael Jordan in this position with the Wizards and now with the Hornets and the Hornets are a, a woeful franchise. It's, um, hmm. it's 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 disappointing that it's, it's the way it is and again Michael's over it. Yeah. And, and I go back to the documentary and I, I draw a line between Michael's inner circle. His inner circle weren't players. His inner circle was like uh, was security guards, uh, you know, Chicago former Chicago police officers. Those are his best friends and his yeah. closest circles, his closest allies. And I wish that that for Michael to be so successful on the court, for him to be an executive, Jerry, and it would be great. For him to be somewhat of a Pied Piper to to be a conduit for really good players to come to play for him, but I just yeah. I just don't think his his basketball circle was the people I think we saw in the documentary not <laughs> solid basketball people or former players that could help him because look at the one loss record that's all you need to know.
2: That's that's true, and I think you're making some really good points there. And for all the criticism you can level against Jerry Krause, I mean the guy did. Scotty Tiffin. He found talent. He found the right pieces to put around Michael Jordan. So, um, you may question his decision not to sign Scotty to a contract and not to bring him all back and to say, Phil, this is your last year, but you also have to credit him for helping put together the pieces to win six championships, uh, which is very difficult to do in any decade in any sport.
0: It's uh it's interesting. I I like to see um, in the seventh championship, it, it's it's funny that you bring this up because, you know, I had to go back and look at the numbers, and I just think that for a shortened season, Jerry, where we're talking about a lockout season where it's 50 games, and I know the playoffs, seemingly those playoff games were every other day. I watched, remember watching the Knicks and the, and the Spurs in that spot. I just think that if the core is Pippen and Jordan, and if somehow you can talk Phil back into coming, even Bill Cartwright, the head coach, it doesn't matter. I just think that at least you, you have to do the time-honored tradition of the NBA. You ride it until the wheels fall off, as Martin Lawrence would say. Because the the Celtics went through it, the Lakers went through it, all these teams that were great went through it and and said, well, we're going to try one more time, and it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but to to stop a very successful team the way the, the Bulls did is just, uh, it's really unheard of in NBA circles. And, and can you imagine
2: the... Bulls keeping that nucleus together and then going up against you know next it was the emergence of the Lakers and to have Michael and 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 Kobe in an NBA final yeah. that would have been incredible that would have been incredible to see the Lakers won a championship in 2000 you know the say the Bulls kept that nucleus together a couple more years and could have gotten back um talking about some great theater that would have been uh unbelievable sir
0: what um I want to find out your thoughts on another documentary that you would, would really love to see. Maybe it's not in the works yet, but a, a certain sports figure or team that you'd love to see covered in the documentary long form, like we just saw with The Last Dance. Oh, wow. A team. Wow,
2: that's that's really interesting. I, I haven't thought about it, but you know, I think we're going to see that, that Kobe doc, because he had a film crew follow him uh, his entire last year in the league. So... Uh, it's unfortunate he won't be a part of it, but we're gonna see that. I mean, you know, the Warriors uh, would have been a great doc the when when uh, when when Durant came over there, and and so you know the criticism that he received, and you know coming from an Oklahoma City team to a team that was already championship ready, and just you know the conflicts with Draymond. So yeah, that's a franchise that would have been uh, a good documentary as well. So. Uh, yeah, you know the the Laker team back in the early two thousands. Uh, you know the the battles between Shaq and Kobe. So uh there's some teams with some personalities out there that would make for good theater and good TV.
0: So you're not going to write the Knicks Dolan documentary for ESPN. Oh, we saying? God. You're not
2: gonna- <laughs> I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a Knicks, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, but I, I tell you, it, it's it's a struggle. It is a struggle, and. You know, I was the, I was the guy that would watch the Knicks no matter what. Mm-hmm. I was the guy back in the the '80s that you know tuning in, you know, going to the garden for those teams that won 25 games when Ken the Animal Bannister was playing center, and you probably never heard of him, and most people haven't. But that was the team back then, and I would watch him. But I can't do it now. It's it's very difficult, and uh, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I would love to see them return to glory, but. Um, You know, their last appearance in the uh, deep in NBA playoffs was 1999, and that's not going to happen anytime soon.
0: Lastly, Jerry, and I appreciate your time, Um, you you wrote a a column in the culture section about, will will barbershops and salons survive the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, uh, I'm having a hard time right now, Jerry. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to grow my hair this long. I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) I'm having a hard time here because I haven't seen my barber since early March. And here we are almost going to be turning the calendar in June. And, uh, you know, I look like one of those people in the old albums. You flip the pages and you say, wait, who is that? And it's kind of like that old. It's You see the date. It's just 79, 80. Jerry, you are having a hard time with this, man. I, I, I haven't been to the barber for a while.
2: Yeah. Hey, hey Jonathan, it's, um, I haven't been to a barber shop in two and a half months. I usually get my hair cut. Every two weeks. So mm-hmm. for most of the two and a half months, I would just wear a hat all the time. Yeah. And now I just don't care anymore. I I, you know, I walked out the other day. I didn't have a hat on. I have this afro now. I probably scared a couple of kids. Some dogs probably <laughs> ran away. But it's all good. I don't care anymore. I really don't care. I, and, and the shocking thing with me right now, I didn't know I had the ability to grow hair this long. You know, my ball spots run in my family. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, you know, I'm going to sport this and say, hey, I can grow at the age of 57, grow hair in my head.
0: <laughs> so you don't mind just rolling out there like me, looking like Freddie Boom Boom Washington. You're right. Here, <laughs> I, I,
2: I, you know, and I worn my hair, uh, you know, close for a lot of years. But, um, you know, my barber, uh, he might have to get used to cutting me into a little apple right now. So I'm going to bring the apples back right now.
0: That's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about it too. <laughs> it, yeah, utilize I a know. lot of grease. I got a lot a lot of the uh, softy coconut oil I'm using a lot of that, man, just to yeah, just to keep I it know. keep it I soft. <laughs> hey listen, I, I
2: had to I had to spray the other day, I had to do a video segment. And I had to get that hair to sit down a little bit. So I, I, I had so much coconut oil on my hair. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. It's crazy.
0: I <laughs> wore my hair this long, like the, the 80s, man. This is, this is weird. But, uh, but yeah. we have to read, read that column, too, everybody, if you get a chance, just how barbershops and salons. There are some that are opening now as the country starts opening here and there. But uh, here in Chicago, no, that's, it's, it's shut down. So it's a tough time
2: yeah yeah it's really you know and and my heart goes out to those people um you you know they they struggle in their business and not not only just barbershops and salons but it's you know small restaurants uh you know restaurants of all sizes retail stores people who started their business this year and and are struggling right now so i really hope we can get a handle on this pandemic and 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 turn this around because this is the most difficult time of any of our lives and uh you know especially feel um, bad for the young people graduating from college who are into an unsure world right now. So,
0: There's no question about it. Well, Jerry, I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Let's do it again.
2: Hey, we'll compare apples next time, Jonathan. <laughs> we certainly will.
0: It's, it's going <laughs> to be something. Jerry Bembry <laughs> from the Undefeated with me, Jonathan Hood, as you're listening to ESPN 1000.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at Hood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000.
0: Chicago's home for sports. Full we'll show tomorrow between seven and ten, right here on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. Good to hear from Jerry Bembry his thoughts about the Last Dance. Yeah, it's it's interesting what's been going on with Horace Grant with his thoughts and on uh, Camping Company earlier today, and Scotty Pippen not happy with the uh, <laughs> with the documentary as well. You knew that there was going to be some feathers ruffled because this was all in the view of Michael Jordan. So it's not a surprise to me that. There are some people that are not happy about how they were portrayed, but some of it was the truth. Maybe all of it was the truth. Thing is that we'll never know. It's just from Jordan's standpoint, Horace in his piece and Scotty saying his piece. It's a, uh, it's interesting, but my focus is, is that we saw a great team. We saw an organization in the right direction for a decade for the most part in the nineties. And so I was happy to see that since then, Not so much drama in the wrong direction, drama and losing. It's a bad combination. Channing Frye has been very controversial on social media about Michael Jordan and the documentary. Jordan. He says Jordan only had one job. He only had really one job and that was to just score. And he did that at an amazing, amazing rate.
2: But I don't feel like his way of winning then would translate to what it is now. Guys wouldn't want to play with him, right? I think you have to adjust and adapt and to say, oh, Jordan would average fifty. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. We just everyone would double team him.
0: Channing Fry did not watch Michael Jordan play clearly. To say that Jordan Lee had one job and that was the score. Channing Fry has been in the league for uh, had been in the league for a long time. That's what he got out of the documentary. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, including Channing Fry, but I just think it's funny as if Channing Fry didn't even watch Michael Jordan play. Terrific defender, MVP, great scorer, leader of that team, but all he did was score. Channing Fry should know better as a basketball player. But somehow, all of Jordan's greatness was missed on Channing Fry. And that's why you never trust a man named Channing tuesday wrestling tuesday is next
1: this is Under the hood with jonathan hood hi everybody on espn 1000 (laughs) chicago's home for sports wrestling fans are you ready this is tuesday you people Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood.
0: First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goot. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it, I know I put it, but I'm most of all the baddest man around in the world today. Follow
1: the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But
0: remember my fireflies, as always, I'll light
1: the way, and all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... In all my magnificent, you're gonna be mine all night long.
0: Here's Jonathan Hood. It's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow tuesday wrestling tuesday on twitter and on instagram at wrestling twt that's wrestling twt also check out our youtube page youtube.com look for tuesday wrestling tuesday every tuesday at 9 30 we give you something wrestling give you something sports entertainment and we're glad to have you with us right here i want to be able to give you some news here that occurred earlier today about shad gaspard if you remember the tag team crime time a tag team in which i didn't like their persona necessarily but they they were over i thought in the wwe the story about uh shad gaspard i don't know if you've seen this has been on tmz and other places the family of shad gaspard issued a statement through a number of wwe and AEW performers um, asking for privacy during this terrible ordeal that gaspard's family uh, have gone through so shad gaspard went missing on Sunday afternoon after he was caught in a riptide along with his 10 year old son and other people during the rescue operation Gaspar directly uh, talked to the lifeguards to try to help rescue his 10 year old son a wave reportedly hit him and he was never seen again the divers were combing the area yesterday morning as well as helicopters searching above unconfirmed reports are circulating that the rescue effort has been called off. Gaspard uh, has been declared deceased. So just a, a horrible, horrible story of just a really big guy that was in the WWE for a while, Shad Gaspard, and he was trying to reach his son uh, and they they both went missing. And so it looks like that Chad Gaspard has passed away. Um, And I'm just reading from wrestlers like MVP and from Mark Henry and others on Twitter and just an outpouring of love and support and concern over this horrible ordeal. It's great to have wrestlers come together and talk about you know, the, the brothers and sisters uh, in that community, uh, in that circle. And so all the best to Gaspard's family during this very, very difficult time. As it looks like he has passed away as his search has been called off. Um, other news about wrestling is that Monday Night Raw took place last night. They continue to perform at the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida and raw last night drew a 1.7, 1.7 million people watched money night raw. And once again, I will ask the question during this pandemic, during COVID-19 where many, not all, because there's some States and cities that are opening now in which You can be able to go out to dinner if you want to. You can be able to do kind of the things that uh, we are normally used to. But for the most part, America has been shut down. And you would think if you are quarantined, if you're sequestered, if you're in your home, that you have more time to watch television, network television, cable, Netflix, uh, Amazon, whatever your favorite television uh, device is. And the numbers for wrestling are just going down, especially the WWE product. Where Raw is 1.7 million. We have seen all time lows now for Monday Night Raw. And sure, these performers are wrestling in front of zero, no attendance except for the workers. It's still surreal to be able to turn a wrestling show and see no fans that are in the stands. But this is where we are right now. And I, once again, I just think it's interesting where you're supposed to have a lot more eyeballs watching television because, uh, you know, more then 15% of this country is not working and they're at home, but they're not watching Monday night raw or they're not watching SmackDown SmackDown actually is doing better than raw from a number standpoint. Last week, SmackDown was around the two. So over a little bit over 2 million people and raw is barely beating. You know what I mean? Just like it, a few digits away from losing to uh 90 day fiance. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that, that says something about where the where wrestling is and If you cannot be able to build on your momentum as a wrestling company during a pandemic when there is supposed to be more eyeballs on your product, that says a lot. I mean, all-time lows for Monday Night Raw, uh, all-time lows for uh, the WWE product in general, which I, I find interesting. Now, on the other side of the tracks, on Wednesdays, it still continues to be compelling between NXT and AEW. They are both doing very well. AEW is a different product. Because they are catering to terrific wrestling, also building in storylines, and they don't mind trying to make you laugh and do things that's a little bit unorthodox. Where NXT is really more or less the hardcore wrestling show, it's in the, in the, Vision of Triple H, and I think that Triple H is doing a terrific job. I've always been an NXT fan, but AEW continues to beat NXT week in and week out. Now, we, when I say beats, it's relatively t- relative terms because neither one of these companies are averaging over a million viewers uh, on their first run programs on Wednesdays. Uh, AEW, for those that don't know, AEW runs on TNT, and NXT runs on the USA Network. And neither one of them have been able to get traction to be able to get over a million viewers. But when the numbers come out, AEW continues to dominate NXT uh, as far as the wins are concerned. They've had a lot more wins than NXT has, even though NXT is more of the wrestling product. Interesting to watch. Going back to Raw just for a moment, just last night. We were doing the show last night, of course, and I'm just looking up at the screen as we were doing the show and talking about The Last Dance and some of the other um, sports storylines. I just I didn't have the sound up, which is fine. I mean, it's Tom Phillips and Samoa Joe and and Byron Saxton, so I don't think I'm missing a ton here. So I'm just kind of just keeping my eyes on it as I'm hosting the show. And I, it's, one, it's interesting how it, from segment to segment, how raw can go two steps forward. And then the next segment to go five steps back. If the first segment is bad, then you think, okay, well, it's going to get better. Right. And you think segment after segment, either from the in-ring standpoint or a great promo or whatever, that you are building momentum from the beginning. Sometimes the hot is the, the beginning is hot and it just kind of falls off the table and just kind of, you know, was able to rebound back. This It's amazing to watch Bobby Lashley dominate R-Truth. I mean, dominate him in a big way, where Lashley looked strong. To watch Charlotte Flair win her matchup. To watch the Iconics make a return over the last couple of weeks. The Iconics, who I'm a big fan of, a a, um, female tag team that I think is, they're fun to watch. And they're in there in their matchup. And I thought that that was a really good match, even though in a, in a disqualification, so it opens up for more. And I see that. And on the flip side, I see Natalya get beat down for, I don't know, the 2000th time because she's booked so poorly in WWE. I don't know what Natty Neidhart did to Vince McMahon or the writers for her to be underneath so often. She is the Dolph Ziggler of the women's division. I don't understand how someone that can work so well baby babyface or heel, and she's been both, by the way how she can be booked so poorly and she has been, and she just, she tapped out and she looked horrible yesterday as she has for the majority of her career as a single wrestler in the WWE. Then you see some kind of skit and again I didn't have the sound of it. I just kind of looked over to my left and I saw the street profits against the Viking Raiders, and they were taking on one another in a basketball contest like it was two on two and then there was some kind of throwing swords contest i don't mean that kind of throwing swords i mean they actually have swords and they're throwing it and they had a competition between the two teams and i'm like wait haven't i seen this before oh yeah i have seen this before mvp against matt hardy like the best thing on smackdown years ago Out of all the storylines they had, the MVP playing Matt Hardy and a a challenge of basketball, it was the whole thing of, whatever you do, I can do better. And they they had this series of four or five different things. It was entertaining. And so clearly, they have reprised this, so so it could be the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits doing this. And then, which is just totally um, garbage, trash, it's just a waste of both of those teams' talents because of entertainment. Got to entertain the people, right? And then Lana, and her husband's not around anymore. Lana, just she's in a segment, and, and I just looked over, and she's just screaming. She's in the back just screaming. There, I don't think there's any dialogue with just her screaming. I'm like, so this once Russian, right, this Russian uh, woman that uh, was with Rusev, Rusev's out of the company and so Lana's there and every time I see her she's just screaming like how's that entertaining <laughs> like what is going on and Seth Rollins is supposed to be some some Jesus-like figure they've got him uh, you know dressed up in a, a black suit and his promos have slowed down I just I don't understand I understand half of the company and the other half I just don't understand like clearly it is Taylor for the um just for one guy the audience of one, and that's Vince McMahon. And I just, I will never understand it. Why can't you just give me a wrestling show? Why can't you just give me great, great promos? And he's seen some good promos. The promos have changed. Now the audience. Uh, is able to see into the eyes of the talent. Drew McIntyre, terrific promo. Uh, Seeing Bobby Lashley in MVP, terrific promo, because now they're looking at us instead of looking at their shoes, looking up at the ceiling. They're broken the fourth wall, and they're actually trying to sell themselves to people that are watching. So I appreciate that, but it just i understand there's no perfect wrestling show but raw is far from it i don't know how people watch it every monday for three hours (laughs) it's crazy uh so there's some storylines also the AEW just continues to i think crank out some entertaining things uh for for their company you know it's a young company but they just continue to to try to build toward uh, a number of things that will entertain their fan base but the only thing is the indie fan base, and then wrestling fans that are sick of WWE, you got to be able to expand it even more so. So in a year from now, if AEW is still struggling to get a million viewers or if they're kind of underneath uh, you know, NXT or underneath SmackDown, you start to wonder, do they need to change some things? So uh, so wrestling's in a good spot. I know there's a number of companies that have shut down during this COVID-19 are not in service, but uh, I think it, it'll be interesting to watch how wrestling evolves as the states start to open, which wrestling company will go to those states and say, besides Florida and Jacksonville, um, what other states will allow pro wrestling to uh, operate there? Will we see WWE or AEW or, or MLW or NWA or these other companies start to travel as these states start opening? UFC has done it in in Jacksonville with their shows. They had three shows in Florida. Now we'll see this more often as we get uh, further into the spring, into the summer. Uh, I look forward to seeing what happens there.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
0: Welcome back to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, it's WrestlingTWT for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Giving you that wrestling sports entertainment conversation every Tuesday at 930 right here on ESPN 1000. Have you been watching The Undertaker in the documentary on the WWE Network? I'm not happy with the WWE Network in some ways, and in some ways, it's it's really good. The way I have a problem with them is that they have uh, taken away some of my classic wrestling that I enjoy watching. They They took away The Vault, which was something I really enjoyed looking into wrestling in the 70s and 80s. They don't really have that available anymore, but they do have great documentaries. You know, Watching The Last Dance from ESPN and some of the documentaries they have coming up, there's nothing like a great story that's told. And so The Undertaker documentary was just called The Last Ride, similar to The Last Dance, right? But The Last Ride from The Undertaker, I've seen the first two episodes. It's really been interesting because I remember watching The Undertaker before he was The Undertaker as Mean Mark Callis when he was in WCW. And to watch him in a tag team with Danny Spivey, I thought, okay, you know, this guy's kind of a big guy. Doesn't have a lot of emotion. He moves slowly, but he has explosion. When he comes off the ropes, there's this big-time lariat, his big-time clothesline. He walks the ropes, and I'm like, this is like the spoiler from years ago. The spoiler was a masked wrestler that would walk the ropes, take his time, and so I think that with... The Undertaker, being from Houston, he saw the spoiler, I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. If you have never seen him, look, Google it, go to YouTube, look for the spoiler, and you'll see a lot of characteristics like The Undertaker. The Undertaker is legit 7' foot tall, 6'11", 7' tall, and when I saw him in WCW, I thought, this guy could be really special. He didn't have the Undertaker gimmick, he just it was a guy that had black chaps and just came out and kind of um, milky white skin, but he looked menacing because he never changed his facial expression. And so with him coming over as the undertaker being first managed by brother love, I thought, okay, it's interesting to see mean Mark now in the WWF at the time. And of course there was a lot of hype around him, but he was in in era in which the wwe is all about the gimmicks and they had a lot of bad gimmicks there they didn't have some good gimmicks that would last a test of time they had the goon that was supposed to be a hockey guy there was supposed to be someone that was a mantar half man half i don't know guitar no actually uh like um <laughs> mantar was like a half bull half man uh, they had some really bad gimmicks but they got to the undertaker And because he was with Brother Love, it made sense at the time. But when Paul Bearer, uh, Percy Pringle, was able to be with The Undertaker because Percy's new name is Paul Bearer, and Paul Bearer actually was someone that uh, had a license to be able to be a Paul Bearer, someone that could be able to embalm people. He had a license to be able to do this to the dead. It was really interesting to see the pair, the the one-two punch of Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. And that really worked out well. Here's where you knew the fans were starting to change when it comes to The Undertaker. He came in there as a heel, and he was tearing through everybody. And again, it was different because he took his time. He did not necessarily rush through the match. And he looked like someone that came from the dead, the way he was dressed, his facial expressions, everything else, right? And so fans started to get into him. There's a difference between the 80s and booing an Undertaker and then the 90s where he's getting through Jimmy Snuka and he's getting through Hulk Hogan and he's getting through all these you know, top superstars. All of a sudden, he starts getting cheers. That's how it was in the early 90s where the fans started getting smarter and they appreciated heels and baby faces. And so the Undertaker became this phenom and he just continued to roll through. There were some lean times for the WWE uh, in the early 90s. Where they weren't drawing a ton on the road. It was bad, actually, for the WWE and for WCW, actually. And then you start to see the metamorphosis of the Undertaker becomes the American badass, where he takes off of the, the Undertaker stuff and he just becomes like this biker, closer to who he is, riding on a motorcycle and had the bandana. And he was the guy that was more explosive and more expressive as the American badass than he was the Undertaker. And so they kind of cleaned up his image changed it a little bit. Then he went back to being the undertaker. And so as years have gone by, you're wondering like, okay, when will this be the end for the undertaker? Because with uh, Mark Calloway uh, being in the company since 1990, you are thinking, okay, so this gimmick has lasted for a long time, but he kept trying to develop. But over the last few years, we have seen the undertaker slow down had some really bad matches against Goldberg, not a great match at WrestleMania against uh, Roman Reigns in which it was supposed to be his last match um, tag team match that he had with Kane in Saudi Arabia against Shawn Michaels and Triple H. You can see that he's every bit of 55 years of age but if you've not seen this documentary, check out the WWE Network and check out the first couple of episodes. Uh, we will document each episode on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on the podcast. I hope you get Chance to download the podcast and subscribe to it that way we can just go segment by segment. We can go uh, episode by episode about uh, the undertaker and uh, his legendary status. I think about all the wrestlers that I've seen and I've seen them since the late 70s, early 80s with my grandfather going to the matches and watching with my family. The undertaker's right there in the Mount Rushmore of great gimmicks ever in the history of the business because of longevity. Now he's at a crossroads even right now, whether or not he's going to wrestle again in 2020. I, I get that. But you know that after that boneyard match he had with AJ Styles, you would think okay they can cut the cord now that should be enough but who knows he always is so loyal to vince mcmahon and, and vince is so loyal to him they have a very special bond that i was not aware of until i started watching the documentary i don't want to spoil it all for you but if you have not seen that go and see it yourself but it's a special relationship that vince has with the undertaker where the undertaker is hard for him to say no and you know, even Steve Austin, even Shawn Michaels to an extent, even Bret Hart, and so many others knew when to stop. And The Undertaker is very similar to Ric Flair in this regard. You know, Flair continued to wrestle in TNA after his retirement match against Shawn Michaels, and you were wondering, okay, Nate, you know, this is it, right? It's a young man's game. And he just continued to wrestle even in the TNA. He needed the money. I think that's pretty clear. He's talked about it. he needed the money, but you know when someone is past their prime in the ring. And so watching The Undertaker, after the Boneyard match was a great match to be able to cover up any flaws, any issues with The Undertaker, it made him look strong against AJ Styles. That should be the end. But who knows what the real end is for The Undertaker? That's the thing. We've seen him in some stinkers, and we've seen him in some great matches as well. The matchup against uh, John Cena at WrestleMania. It was only five or six minutes But it was good for, you know, a short burst. But even for someone who's had so many surgeries, you would think The Undertaker would just end it, you know, and and stop wrestling so much. But he gets his body right once a year for big events like WrestleMania or for the shows in Saudi Arabia. And so we'll see. But check that out. The Undertaker, The Last Ride. Of The Undertaker, a really good documentary, really taking a look at the last three years of Undertaker's career in the WWE. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT, and don't forget... The YouTube page, YouTube.com, look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday for interviews and conversations you might have missed here on TWT. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Full show tomorrow between seven and ten. We got a couple of special guests uh, that you'll really enjoy, and we got so much content we got to get to stuff I didn't get to tonight. I got to get to tomorrow right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This
1: is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.